So happy May. Can you believe it? it's May 1st already? We are in the season, right? And, and it feels a little warmer than, than, than uh, slowly, though. It's getting there. But um, with the, uh, the turning of the calendar uh, into a new month, it's always the time that we take a moment of pause and, and we gather around the Lord's table and we um, remember. We remember that, that moment, that significant moment. Um, act of love, the greatest act of love that, that the world has ever seen um, in the fact that Christ went to the cross for, for us. And Jesus calls us to come and, and do this regularly. Um, so why? So we don't forget, all right? Because sometimes we can get so busy, we can get so distracted, we can get so pulled in different um, directions, we can get so focused on different narratives, whether um, theological narratives, right? Political narratives, relational narratives, or whatever. It's always good to kind of come back. And there's something about communion that just kind of resets our thinking. It kind of brings us back to what's most important. And this morning, um, we're going to spend a little uh, a longer time than usual um, focusing on, on communion together. Because I think sometimes we can, um, we can get so familiar with that, that it becomes a religious gesture and isn't something that truly has an opportunity, maybe because we're moving through it so quickly, to kind of land in our hearts. And so my, my heart's desire this morning was for us to kind of pause a little bit and just to really reflect a little bit and, and consider what this memorial meal, this Lord's Supper, this communion, whatever you may call it, um, really means to us because the church has been partaking of this for 2,000 years. Jesus calls us to come regularly to the table. It is, a, it is a sacred time for the church. It's a reminder that the, that the playing field, if you will, is level. The ground is level before the cross. It's an opportunity to come before Father and, and remember that we can do so not because of how good we were this last week, or how many Bible verses we have memorized, or how faithful we were to pray every day, we can come before him because Jesus has provided a way. And so many times in our performance-driven relationships and mentalities, we can forget that Christ paved the way for us so we can, so we can come. And so it's a, it's a sacred time for the church. It's a, it's a refocusing and a defining moment of who we are and, and why we exist as a church. We are the, the body of Christ. We're an extension of his love to a lost and, and dying world. And we are as his body because, as I said, not because of anything we've done, but solely based on what Christ has done for us. And I know we know that up here, but oftentimes, because of our humanity, because of our guilt, sometimes because of the shame that we unnecessarily carry, we fail to recognize and, be, and, and remember that we're God's child. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace. And so this morning we're gonna take a little bit longer pause than we usually do in communion by, by taking a look in five different directions as we prepare our hearts for communion. You don't need to pull those things back yet. I'll give you time to, 
do that. But the title of my message this morning is The Look of Communion. The Look of Communion. We're going to take a look at that looking um, at Paul's uh, passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, with me, or you can read it above my head. I'm going to read through the passage, and then we're going to kind of go back and and consider these these five different looks that we are to make uh, when we gather around the Lord's table. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eleven. Paul says, "For I've received from the Lord." But I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And Paul says, therefore, let a man or person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not also be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Um, my guess is if you've been in the faith for any length of time, you have come and gathered around the table hundreds of times. We had a great opportunity a couple of weeks ago as we went through our, our Good Friday service and, and I had a wonderful, uh, my, 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 my part in it was being able to um, um, celebrate the Passover meal where kind of like Good Friday kind of started at the Passover table. We went through the Lord's Supper uh, 10, 11 times that night. And every single time, if you were in the room with me, it was different every single time when I did it, but it was fresh in my heart. And I just thank God that it's something that has not ever, I've not become familiar with this important thing. I think we, we need to be really careful to keep it fresh in our hearts and what Paul is doing here is he's calling the church, giving instruction to the church on the way in which we are to come to the Lord's table. And so if, if this is super familiar for you, please humor me for a moment and just pretend like this is fresh in your minds and allow God's word to, to re-stir up maybe something that you've become very familiar with over time. The first thing we're going to take a look at, we're going to look at five looks as we come to the Lord's table. The first thing we do is we come and we take a look back. We take a look back. I mean, the context of this meal that Jesus had with his disciples was the, pur the purpose of it was for looking back. They were celebrating Passover. Jews had been doing this all the way since the Exodus. They would get gathered together every single year and they would celebrate the Passover. This wasn't the first time Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. 
Jews had been doing this every single year. It was a time where they would, they would remember God deliver, how God delivered them from the harsh treatment and slavery that they were under when they were in Egypt. How they cried out to God and God heard their prayer and delivered them from the harsh treatment of the Pharaoh. And God put in motion something for them so they wouldn't forget because they are very much like you and I. We forget, don't we? We forget the things we should remember and we remember the things we should forget, right? And so what God put in motion right in, in, in during the Exodus for these people who were under such horrible times, they cry out to God, God delivers them by, by sending plagues upon Egypt. Remember that story? The flies and the lice and the frogs and the, the water turning into blood and the, the darkness and, 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 just, and, and just went on and on and on and, and finding its climax in, 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 in the death angel coming and bringing death to the firstborn of every home. And, and God gave instruction to the children of Israel and said, said to them, if you, if you go and take a lamb and slaughter the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and, and put it on the doorpost of your home so that when the death angel comes over the land of Egypt, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your home and you will be spared from the wrath of God. And so thousands were, were wiped out that day, but not those who had the blood applied to the door. It was the first Passover. And for centuries after that, the Jews would gather together and there were symbols on the table. They would, they would, have, they would eat bitter herbs and, and just the reminder as they would eat these bitter herbs, it would remind them of the bitter times that they experienced under the Pharaoh. They would literally take into themselves and it would, it would force them to remember what their forefathers had experienced. They would drink, they would, they, they, would be, they would take the bitter herbs and they would dip them in salt water, the salt water representing the tears that were shed. And so each of the emblems on this table reminded them, caused them to look back at what God had done. There would be the shank bone of the lamb, a reminder of the lamb that was slain and shed its blood. So when they put it on the doorpost, they would remember how God delivered them. They looked back at how God supernaturally delivered the Jews century after century. And now here, are, here is Jesus with his disciples and they have been experiencing this, this Passover meal their whole lives, but this night was going to be very different. This night was going to be like any other night. For the, 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 all of the Passovers would point to this one who hosted the event that night as Jesus hosted the final Passover. And so for the, for the Jews during Passover, it was a time for them to look back at how God supernaturally delivered his people. But for you and I, it is a moment of pause to look back and consider how God supernaturally delivered you and I from the bondage of sin, from the wrath of God that comes because of our sin. And so we gather around the table and there was all kinds of, 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 of um Emblems on the table, and then Jesus, taking the bread and the wine, introduces the new way, the, new, the entrance of the new covenant. And so they would gather together, and when, when we come together, it is a moment where we look back and we remember. We remember that we were guilty of our sins. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We were born in sin. We have a destination called hell. That's what we were born into because sin had entered into the world. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came and died for you and I. And he shed his blood upon the doorpost of our heart so that when the death angel comes, we won't receive the wrath of God. But instead, we receive the blessing of God because we're his children. And you see, we come to the table and, and we look back, not at our performance, but his. All right, not at our actions, but, but his. And we remember, we look back, and we recognize that, that what drove Christ to the cross was his love for you and for me. We look back. The second thing we do is we take a look forward. You see, it all started right there on Calvary. It all started with that look back, but now we take a look forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, he writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a look forward. Secondly, as we come to the table, we, we look forward to that day. We look beyond the babe in the manger, right? We look beyond the ministry of Jesus in the streets of Galilee. We look past the garden of Gethsemane. We even look beyond the hill called the Golgotha where Christ died on the cross. We take a forward look this morning, even beyond the ascension. We take a look forward and consider that he is coming again. The one who sits at the right hand of God, who is coming as he promised his bride, the church, that he will come again. And if, if you, it's almost like the two bookends of time, right? It began, the church started because Christ died on the cross for us. We see the church is birthed, but there's another day coming where Christ will come for his church. But before the second coming of Christ, we will look forward to the next big event on God's calendar, the rapture of the church. Even before the second coming of Christ, which we will come back with Christ prior to that event, will be the rapture of the church. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples in John chapter 4, he had been telling them for, for, for weeks now that, that he soon was going to be leaving them. And clearly, there was going to be a change in life as they knew it. He knew that they were discouraged and they were curious and they were worried. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house sir, are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Am I lying to you, he's saying? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. The, the, the key there is what Jesus says, I will take you to myself. This is not referring to the second coming of Christ. These words that Jesus is talking about, the taking of the church, is referring to the rapture of the church. I will come again and I will take you to myself. 
Paul, in writing to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, he says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. I just love that. Let's just pause there for a second. What, a, what an encouraging word. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who don't have hope. <sighs> Thank God that there's hope, right? There's hope for those that we wait long and wait to see. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven and with, a, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is not a picture of Christ coming in the second, because we know he's going to come, and, and, he, and he's going to land um, in Jerusalem and the second coming. That's not referring to this. What he's referring to here is the Lord pulling the church off the earth. Those who have died first will go to Christ and then we who remain will meet the Lord in the air and then we will go and we will forever be with the Lord. And what will happen after that point is the wrath of God will pour, be poured out on the earth and they will enter a season of tribulation. Now we're going to address, I know, I, know I, I touched on that a couple of weeks ago and, and someone of you said, can, can, can we go back there? I promise we're going to get into the rapture of the church. I'm just trying to throw out a little, little, little um, some appetizers. We're, we're going to go there. I know everybody's really, uh, you know, when, when are the believing leaving, right? When, when are we going here? When's this going to take place? What does the Bible have to say about where we are? Because you know what? The Bible has a lot to say about where we are now and how we are to ready ourselves but I like what Paul says here. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so when we come to the table, we, we take a look back at what Christ did, and, but we take a look forward at what is ahead. Because what that does is it introduces an opportunity for a right perspective, right? Because we, we, we tend to get so caught up in the, in, our, in the timeline of our life that we forget to realize that God is in control and he's over the timeline, right? And there's bigger things that are to come and there's more exciting things that are to come and that we are not victims of circumstances, that God is on his throne and he's in control and he's going to do what he's going to do. And we need to be remind, reminded of these things that it would clearly in the same way as we look back at what he did, we could have confidence in knowing that he will continue to be, be true to his word. And we look forward to that day. Therefore, encourage one another, Paul says, with these words. I know it's discouraging times in which we live. I know we can get really grieved by the things we see going on around us. And I know it impacts us in different ways. And, and we can see the, the tentacles of sin manifest all around the world today. But listen, don't be, oh, don't be discouraged. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And so will you. Don't be so tied down 
to the temporary that you failed to embrace the eternal. And so we have these two bookends, if you will, from when Christ um, initiated the new covenant at his, at his first coming and the reminder of looking forward to that second coming. Sandwiched between these time periods of these two looks, there's a, there's a couple of other looks that we want to take as we, as we come to the table. The first two looks provide great context because they're, they're, they're the beginning and the ending of our journey here on this earth, if you will, right? It kind of puts everything into perspective, but how are we to approach the table in light of what was done and what is to come? Why do we come to the table? Why do we regularly gather around the table? What else ought we to be looking at when we come to the table? We look back, we look forward, and look at verse 27, because we look next inward. We look inward. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's the reason why many of you are sick and weak. And some have even died. But if we judge ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. The third look that we take is, a, is an inward look. Notice the words that Paul uses here. Those who eat in an unworthy manner. What is he saying here? So many times people confuse what's being said as to say, well, yeah, be careful not to, 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 don't let anyone who's not a believer partake of the Lord's Supper. Like it's going to condemn them any more than they're already condemned not knowing Christ. A fallen person can't be any worse off whether they put elements in their mouth or not, Right? That is not what Paul is referring to when he talks about coming to the table in an unworthy manner. He's referring to believers. He's writing this epistle to believers in the church of Corinth. And the greater context of the message that he's writing to the church of Corinth is there's a rebuke that's coming on the church. He's rebuking them for the worldliness that they've let crept in. He's, a, he's rebuking them for the divisions that existed amongst them, the backbiting and all the things that were going on. He's rebuking not the world, but the church. We take a look backwards, we take a look forward, and now we're instructed to take a look inward. He says, let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. You see, this, this, is, this is the time that we come to the table and we, we take a look in the mirror. We throw all excuses for our actions on the floor and we just say, Jesus, I'm guilty. Jesus, my sin, I've sinned against you and you only. Will you forgive me? The, the coming to the table reminds me that, that blood was shed for a reason. Not just to condemn me or convict me of my sins, but so that I might be forgiven of my sins. 
John writes, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we can't be forgiven of sin that we don't confess. We can't walk in the freedom of of forgiveness if we won't own what's our sin to own. And so we come to the table and it's almost like we pull away from the group and we stand in the audience of one. And we say, Holy Spirit, I know. I know I've, I've operated in according to my flesh this week. Would you forgive me of my sin? We do the inventory thing. We ask the Holy Spirit to bring to his remem- our remembrance those things that, that we have done that are contrary to our new nature. And we confess them to God and ask his forgiveness, knowing that as I... As I drink of the the cup, it serves as a reminder that blood was shed for me so that I might be forgiven. There's nothing more freeing than a clean slate. There's nothing load heavier to carry than the, 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 the guilt of shame. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come to the table and we confess our sin to God, recognizing that blood has been shed so that I might be forgiven. I look back And what Christ has done, I look forward to that day where he's going to call me up, whether it's through the rapture, a hole in the sky, or a hole in the ground, I'm going. Right? I don't know when, but I know where I'm going. I look forward and I look inward because I want to make sure that while I'm on this earth, I, who have been crucified with Christ, I want to make sure that the life of Christ is being lived out in me. And this, this, the, the stuff, the, the Tony Balsamo that gets in the way of the new nature has got to get confessed. And so I look within. It's a great time to consider as well as, am I in the faith? Have I put my trust in Christ alone for my salvation? Am I trusting the church? Am I trusting my good works? Am I trusting anything other than Jesus? And we don't need, the, we don't need to partake of the, the symbols. We need to partake of Christ at that point. And so we look inward. Number fourth. Number, number fourth. <laughs> Thank you. So gracious to me. Number four. Number four, we take a look around. We take a look around. Only after examining our own hearts. Hello? Only after examining our own hearts. Only after examining our own hearts. Only, only, only after examining my own heart can we rightly view our brethren. Amen? Amen? Amen. I mean, it's really, it starts right here. Listen, the, my, How I see you needs to be seen through the lens of my heart first. 
Paul is addressing the sin that was existing within the church amongst the people in the church, and he's also addressing a lot of the disunity that was existing within the church that was causing a lot of problems within the church. And that's another reason why, actually, this whole section of Scripture, when you get home, you can go back and read the full passage of Scripture. You'll see really what this passage is, is a rebuke to the church and saying, what are you doing having so much disunity amongst you? Let's get back to the table and remember what Christ has done for us to make us one. But we can't deal with them until I deal with me. Amen? And so we come and first we look outward, right? We, we, we look forward, we look backward, we look inward, and then we begin to look outward. Look what he says in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. God doesn't take this stuff lightly. God does not take this stuff lightly. You say, well, is that really saying that people become weak and sick and some even die because of that? That's exactly what it says. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now look at, look at this in light of what Paul writes just a couple of verses later in chapter 12. He, when he's talking about the body of Christ, he's talking about the church. He says in verse 12 of chapter 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Look, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In other words, what has made us one has been what Christ has done for us on the cross right? He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks and slaves are free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. And look, he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You and I are the body of Christ. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, remembering this is written in a greater context of rebuke to the church. Communion, communion wasn't intended to be a private thing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't partake of communion by yourself. That's certainly sometimes a, a, a wonderful experience, but, but it was intended to be celebrated when the church gathers together. because we're to love one another. We're to encourage one another, to appreciate one another, build one another up. Do you know you're sitting right alongside someone who is as imperfect as you? And you're listening to somebody who's as imperfect as every one of you. We're a whole bunch of nobodies who got a hold of somebody and he's making us into his image, right? And how does he make us into his image? How does he sanctify us? How does he conform us into his image? He puts us around a whole bunch of people who are just as imperfect as we are, and we have an opportunity to allow that to cause us to grow and lean on the Lord and love one another 
And we grow through that. And that's what Paul is, is, is reminding them of. He's saying, man, listen, you're the bride of Christ. Love one another. Encourage one. See the value of one another. So valuable that Jesus shed his blood for that person sitting right next to you. Discerning the body means to recognize the value and the sacredness of one another. Interestingly, in John's gospel, during that very same moment that they're celebrating the Passover, right? It's right after they just get done doing the meal or having, having the, the Passover, Judas kind of gets up and does what he needs to do to go and, 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 and um, betray the Lord. It's right after that that Jesus says these words to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. You also are love one another. Has anybody ever been found guilty of loving somebody as much as Jesus loved you? I, mean, I think we've got enough to work on right here, right? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by what? By the love you have for each other. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. The greatest metric of discipleship is our love for one another. Our ability to believe the best, our ability to love and, and, and see through the imperfections, to see the value that one another has in the body of Christ. Which brings us to our final look. We look forward, we look backward, we look inward, we look around, and then we look outward to those who have not yet embraced Christ. You see, following the Passover, following Jesus, Jesus is arrested, right? He, he's beaten, he is crucified, he's placed in a tomb, he rises from the dead, 33, uh, uh, 40 days, uh, three days, three days later, he's on the earth for 40 days, and as he ascends into heaven, he says these words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He gives us our marching orders, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying, listen, now take that which you have received freely and go and bring it to a lost and dying world. Listen, here's what he's saying. Finish the ministry that I have begun and modeled for you. You are my ambassadors. Take this truth and bring it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus for it's the power of God unto salvation. We have the message, we have the hope that can transform hearts. And if a person will embrace Christ, bring them from death to life. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing somebody connect with God in that way. And so we come to the table as you prepare your hearts and work through the cellophane. There's just no easy way to flow. Next month we're going live on the handing out the elements again. <laughs> but we come.
we remember that the cross makes it all possible. What drove Christ to the cross was his love for us. You've heard the song, it wasn't nails that hung him there, held him there, it was his love for us. And that's true. But as we come to the table, we, we do so and we look back. We look back and we remember what Jesus did for us. What that ought to create in our minds is this truth, you ready? There's no other hoop you need to jump through to be reconciled and forgiven by God. There's nothing you need to do. Jesus has done it all. We look back as the only, it is the only ground, the only means by which we can come and we embrace that work for our lives and we say, God, thank you. We look back, we look forward to the day where we will see him face to face. We look forward to his coming. We take an inward look and I encourage you to do that right now. Holy Spirit, are those areas in my life that are not consistent with my new nature, would you forgive me? Would you help me to make right those things that I can make right? Would you forgive me of my sin, my selfishness and my pride? We take a look inward. We're reminded that blood has been shed. It was blood because there no nothing greater can t- help us to appreciate the full sacrifice that Christ has made. And then we look around. Take a look around. Discern the Lord's body. I would encourage you to do something real awkward. Literally look around. Look around. Every face you see has a story. Every face you see has come to the cross a different way. Different past, different journey. Different hurts, different pains, different strengths, different weaknesses. Different wins, different losses. Flawed, but holding on to Jesus. And what, what unites us, what makes us blood. Anybody have any crazy blood relatives? <laughs> right? We got some crazies. If you say, I, I don't have any, you might be the crazy blood relative <laughs> that they're all thinking of. Right? Well, you know, the family of God's got some crazies too. And I'm probably one of them, there's no doubt about it. But what unites us and what makes us family is not the blood that's in our veins, but the blood that's been shed for us. And you know what? I mean this with all my heart. We're no less family than the blood that I share with those in my DNA. We're the family of God. Look around. Value. Discern the Lord's body. Appreciate and love on one another. And then we look outward. We look to a a hurting, dying world 
And we're reminded that if Jesus can step in and save us, he can save anybody. We recognize it's not by works of righteousness that we have come. It's nothing we have done. We haven't earned it. And this message, while there's still time, is the message that needs to be heard by the world around us. And we remember it's not our eloquent words. It's not how much Bible we can, you know, regurgitate to them. It's pointing them to the cross, right? What Christ has did for us, he can do for them. We look back, we look forward, we look inward, we look around, we look outward. And we come. And in the context of that Passover meal, with all the symbolism, after they went through every one of those items, on the table that caused them to look back. Jesus initiates something new, brings something new to the table. He reaches out and he breaks bread. It's like a departure from what they had experienced their whole lives. Wait a minute, Jesus. This isn't the way we do Passover. Yeah, but I'm the reason for the Passover. Every other Passover was pointing to this moment. And he reaches for bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body and it's broken for you, for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together in remembrance of Christ. And afterwards, he, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Another way of saying it is, things are going to be very different from here on in. You've been operating over the, in, under the old covenant, but I'm initiating a new covenant in my blood. And in this covenant, everyone can come and, and, and approach the throne of grace. You no longer need to come by the blood of bulls and goats. You no need to lean upon and depend upon priests and, and, and prophets. Every one of them will have the spirit of God within them. And we can come as sons and daughters. The blood of Jesus secures our family welcoming into the family of God. Drink all of it in remembrance of him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your willingness to come and die on a cross for us so that we might be saved. Father, I, I pray that we'd never become familiar with the cross of Jesus Christ. That we'd never approach the table with familiarity. But it would cause us to always look back and look forward and look in and look around and look out and to see what you have done and what you will do. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of the family of God. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.